Visit ruckusavenueradio.com for our station schedule and much, much more.
Save the music, y'all. Save the music, y'all. Save the music, y'all. Save the music, y'all. Save the music. Yes, yes, of course, everyone knows that song right there. Great way to start off today's show. That was obviously Nas, I Can, off the album Godson. Great way. That points in a direction where I'm going today. I'm going to be jumping around a little bit today, folks. The AS episode with much thought and much music in some form. But first and foremost... Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of Aesthetic Sound Waves. I am your host, Glass. Thank you for the tune-ins, everyone, everywhere. So, I'm actually doing this scriptless right now because I'm wanting to keep my thoughts clear for the most part because I am getting to some reading today. Definitely, definitely some reading, something that we all could always do and is very important. More on that in a bit. But shout-outs, of course. Ruckus Avenue Radio-Radio, thank you for the association and sponsorship. Much appreciated. And, of course, same goes for this proud support. Dilla's Delights, Uncle Herm, and everyone else. The whole Dilla's Delights crew that they all show. Thank you. Much appreciated. Shout-out big to Dilla's Delights and, of course, the one and only Jay Dilla, right? So, that being said, folks, also City of Detroit, you know, I can't say enough. And world, world, thank you for wherever you're tuning in from. Much appreciated, especially in times like these. And that's kind of encompassing the show today. It doesn't take a genius, whether you have a TV or not, whether you have radio or just internet or whatever. To hear, read, and or see what's going on. So, really, first and foremost, I'm going to pose a question to you guys more than anything else. And I just want you to marinate on it. And you can still marinate it on, marinate on it after the show. But I want to throw, throw this out, okay? We are all products of our environment, right? So, no matter what era we grew up in, no matter what environment we grow up in, we all have different perspectives from our own points of view in life, right? Whether good or bad. The question you pose to yourself is, especially in bad times like these, is do you allow yourself to still remain a product of that environment, that society? Or do you attempt to change being that product, right? Because obviously product is the end result of two combinations, right? Or whatever, however many that may be. And I'm going a little bit at this from a mathematical standpoint. But, you know, a product's not just a product. You know, you got quotient, you got sums, you got dividends... You got averages, right? See where I'm going with this. A product can change. It doesn't have to stay consistent based on the formula or the things it's given 
whatever you can think of that I'm trying to tell you, okay? That's my question to you guys today, though, okay? Is, and or maybe I should say, are we willing to be products of the same consistency and or of change, right? So, that being said, I want to get into some reading today and some thoughts. You know, as I said, this is a mix match show. This is kind of going back to season one of AS where I was throwing a lot of idea and thought, season one and two actually, really into a big entanglement. So check it out. If you, as most people already know, right, I'm really into history and a lot of other subjects. And there's a lot coming into the this little play today. But I've been observing a lot what's going on, right? Just tons through this whole pandemic, through the riots, the protests, um, everything else, right? We... We are in a really odd time. I need not say that. It is like the twilight zone and everything else. But the one few things I will say is if you really think about what's going on right now, we have a clash of almost like two movements in history or two periods of time, I should say. One, and as I said, this is just coming from a standpoint because I'm... A, I, I'm as I said, I'm intertwining this with moral a message in the end. But one, if you really look at what's going on right now, we got a lot of elements of the French Revolution, right? I just want you to think about that and ponder upon it. If you haven't studied on the French Revolution and or watched it or whatever it may be, this is something you need to definitely look into, okay? Because the French Revolution pretty much made everything... <laughs> You know, I don't think I have to say any more, but this is where if I fumble up on any of my words, right? I want you guys to look it up and say, hey, hey, Glass, you messed up. And I'm going to take that and say, hey, my bad. You know what I mean? Historically, I said that, Ron, but this is all from gathering of readings and watching certain documentaries and a lot of other things, right? Of course, take everything with a grain of salt. That being said, even in what you read, but back to point. Okay, little for little hint to all of us. So, <laughs> this stuff, I don't even know how to say it anymore, ladies and gentlemen, happening around us is such a combination of French Revolution and at the same time, same exact time, we have elements of the Industrial Revolution being thrown at us, right? So we got these two periods of time which basically were brother, were like, you know, neighbors to each other in historical time frame, right? And what it is, in short, is that we got to get our heads clear and wrap our minds around this because this is confusing. But I am going to say this is the time for people to get to know themselves and change things or whatever it may be. You can come up with your own conclusion from that point. So, I'm just going to throw that out there. 
right? But there is a, and not just those periods, but this is, we got a lot of things coming into this. If this is one big pot of stew right now, and that's why the emotions, the anger, the sadness, everything coming into this is bubbling up, right? It's up to us to make sense of this, okay? It's up to us. I'm going to get into that a little later. For right now, though, I'm going to start off today with the with a reading from a book called The Age of Empire, 1875 to 1914, okay? This was printed and published by Abacus Books, and the author is Eric Hobson. So, that being said, actually, I'm going to be doing two separate readings on this today, but the first page, I'm going to be taking this out of, um, the first reading out of the Overture, pages four through, four through five, okay? So, rather than me do any more talking, let me just get into this reading right here. Where historians try to come to grips with period which has left surviving eyewitnesses, two quite different concepts of history clash, or, in the best cases, supplement each other, the scholarly and the ex existential archive and personal memory. For everyone is a historian to his or her own consciously lived lifetime, inasmuch as he or she comes in terms with it in the mind, an unreliable historian for most points of views, as anyone knows who has ventured into oral history, but one whose contribution is essential. Scholars who interview old soldiers or politicians will have already acquired more and more reliable information about what happened from print and paper than their source has in his or her own memory, but may nevertheless misunderstand it. And unlike, say, the historian of the Crusades, the historian of the Second World War can be corrected by those who, remembering, shake their head and tell him or her, but it was not like that at all. Nevertheless, both the versions of history which thus confront one another or are in different senses coherent constructions of the past, consciously held as such and at least potentially capable of definition. But the history of the Twilight Zone is different. It is itself incoherent, incompletely perceived image of the past, sometimes more shadowy, sometimes apparently precise, almost transmitted by a mixture of learning and second-hand memory shaped by public and private tradition, for it is still part of us, but no longer quite within our personal reach. It forms something similar to those par par particolored ancient maps with unreliable outlines and white spaces framed by monsters and symbols. The monsters and symbols are magnified the mod by the modern mass media because the very fact that the Twilight Zone is important to us makes it central also to their preoccupations. Isn't that interesting, though? And I love the point that's made there, is we are all historians. And that's actually quite beautiful because... I didn't go to a four-year college, okay? I didn't get my degree in U.S. history and world history. I didn't get it. I got it from other sources. That's for another point in the show today, 
but for the main time being is I got it from the knowledge gathered around me from my previous schooling so forth right but regardless if one has a degree in you know social sciences or if one's just a regular cat from place X right we're all historians we are all making our mark having our voice heard making it known what was what is going on in our times our recordings our documentaries our writings very interesting to think about and I think it's cool because we are we are all historians and therefore we have a job to do and this will continue on with humanity till our end and whatever right but we have the job of making it known to people what is going on now what went on in the past and in, is going to happen in the future okay you me the person next to everyone else we all make history it's not just one individual they may make a greater impact than some but we all make it so I have to give a backdrop first as most people know at this point my dad is from South America okay he is pretty much the description or was he passed away many many years ago but he you know he he grew up in a part of South America where he was legitimately what you would call a slum kid you know when you google up the pictures in Brazil Peru Colombia where you see the shanty towns right a legit slum and at world sense you know what I mean <laughs> and of course that definition changes almost everywhere you go you know what I mean but regardless a slum is a slum no matter where you live right that being said my dad was legitimately a slum kid, right? So, to kind of fast forward, fast forward, he was lucky enough, he had an, a relative who had some sort of wealth, ended up going to school, doing some things, right? But where he came from, only the rich kids got to go to school and become educated, and the poor kids were stuck poor. They were in a caste system, folks, a caste system. You are what you were born into okay it's simple and short so when he comes to this country in the 1960s right you know like I'm the son of an, of an immigrant right so a lot of these things still reflect in me and it's really interesting to see in the younger generations how I hate to say it but it's dying down the values but that's another idea for another time okay I don't want to digress today Back to the point is comes to this country, right? Obviously ends up having a family, all that good stuff. So when I was a kid, one of the things that was really, really pressed on us was education. Educate yourselves. And what he meant by education was stimulating the brain, teaching your brain, giving yourself knowledge, right? Because, and he would always beat this into our heads, like I said before already, he would say directly to us, where I'm from, 
only the rich kids go to school. The poor kids don't can't go to school. It costs money. Okay? So you're stuck. You're screwed, folks. And so because of that, regardless of how messed up our education system is here in this country, in which it has a lot of flaws, but that's, once again, another show right now for another time. Okay? Regardless, he said he realized that his kids had a free education and that we have a way out of this. Okay? To break away from that so-called caste system and we can rise up and make ourselves better. Okay? And so because of that, education was always pushed on us very hard, you know. I could give stories, but we had tons of books in our house. TV was something that was never turned on that much, if not at all, really, you know. So, and even then, without me going into a rant, he knew that education in later years cost, you know. And so, even the littlest form of education, okay, this is where it breaks down into the, the almost metaphysical side of education. But in short, it's almost like, I'm sorry, I, I'm collecting my thoughts here, but it doesn't matter where you went, if you went to a four-year college, if you went to a community college, if you went to a technical school. It doesn't matter. Education to know, to stay above. Because one way to knock it to the system, folks, is to prove to people governmental systems, all these other things, is to show them that we are on their say level, that we know what's going on, that we understand what's going on. Because to stay ignorant, numb, and dumb is not an answer. So, this next part I read you is actually comes out of two sources. I, I forgot about this. But I'm going to read you a little bit of history on libraries. Why? Because libraries have been such an essential focus on my end since I've been a kid. I can remember remember being in elementary school, going, what grade was that? I, I want to say second, third grade. I can't remember. I'm going to say third. But moral story is, I, I would go into the library at lunchtime and just read. Right? I was, I've always been a library nerd. But li folks, I didn't go to Harvard. I didn't go to Yale. You know, I didn't go to any four-year college. I went to technical college to learn how to work on diesel trucks. Auto I was an automotive technician, okay? I'm, I'm an average Joe like the rest of us. I'm nothing special, okay? None of us are. We're all the same. But I always carried that same level of knowing stay up and above, whether it be for yourself, your family, your community, whatever, right? So, that being said, we need to take advantage of all the given, free given 
knowledge that is established to us through many different sources, not just libraries, but other ways, folks, other ways. Whether it be, it doesn't even have to be books. Moral story is, even though I'm hitting up on libraries, because libraries are so essential. They're not just there for your internet so you can go look up on Facebook how many you likes on you got, right? Forget that. Likes don't mean, I was going to use a cuss word, likes don't mean anything. Action means something. You can like something, but if you don't act on that like, it's worthless. Sorry, I'm getting a little riled up. But, what I'm saying is, okay, utilize the tools given to us. There's so much stored at these places, wherever we live. Teach yourself. Gather knowledge. You don't have to be educated and go to Barnes & Noble or wherever. You know what I mean? In other words, a bookstore. It doesn't have to be just a bookstore you go to to buy. We have libraries for a reason. They are meant, and I'm going to get into this a second, but they are meant there for us to gather knowledge. So... I'm not going to beat a horse to death, folks, but that's my little spiel before I delve into the history of libraries today, or at least <laughs> for this section. So let me give you a brief history of libraries, right? Source is where I got this one from. Yes, in Wikipedia, I know, I know. But, you know, as I said, once again, take everything with a grain of salt, but you can look this up on other places, and we pretty much... We're all intelligent folk out there. You know, we can decipher all these things ourselves. So let me just give it to you straight. Libraries have many purposes. Actually, hold on. Source in wikipedia.org wiki uh, slash epic of Gilgamesh and history of libraries, actually. This is kind of a combo of things I was looking up. These are my side notes. Libraries have many purposes. Some of, some of the main are to organize and collect documents, government records, and books. In other words, knowledge. First libraries started in 5000 BC in Southwest Asia, started in the Fertile Crescent, a.k.a. the Cradle of Civilization. Writing was, the first, writing was first established in that same area in 3000 BC. The, that area stretched from Mesopotamia to the Nile of Africa. The Epic of Gilgamesh. If you haven't read it before, folks, I highly suggest you read that for an interesting read. Back to point. Is one of the earliest works of written literature recorded on clay tablets. It was found in an old Sumerian library in the 1850s, Akkadian version. That dated back to 2100 B.C., Library of Alexandria, and of course the libraries of Cush too. But, and this is the reason why I really want to start the show off with I can. Because Nas hits at such a point, and in general, that is well accepted and known at this point. But Library of Alexandria was one of the largest and most important libraries in the ancient world. Alexandria was known and regarded as the capital of knowledge and learning. Roman Emperor Aurelian, 272 AD, fought for control over Alexandria. Most of the city was burned and destroyed. This included the library. 
And of course, this was also the library's and in Kush too, of course. But as we know, Kush is Ethiopia, or as the re real name goes, Ethiopia, was part of the Egyptian Empire during this same time. All right? Now, as we all know, philosophers were going to Alexandria to learn where some of the original ideas of philosophy were popping out. Not just philosophy, but magnitudes of information, of intellect, right? And they were giving, teaching people, you know, they were teaching people these things. And of course, even before Alexandria was burned, at some point due to political upheaval and corruptness, it started falling, it, it wasn't the top center anymore of education due to the fact that sinners outside of it were building esteem as educated sinners also. In other words, it expanded itself. It was an originator, so to say, right? So it started declining in its, in, in its name, so to speak, right? But basically, in short, when that library burned down or when it was destroyed, so was the knowledge, but it wasn't just the knowledge that was burned. A lot of that was taken. Scrolls, a lot of stuff was ransacked from that library and taken over to the Greek and European countries and then retranslated as their own things. Example, Herodotus, he was a student of Alexandria. Okay. I could get further into this, but I won't today. But Herodotus obviously known for his grand ideas of philosophy, but he himself was a student there. So, something to think about, folks. These things play such an essential key form in us as people, right? Now, that's just the brief history I have written right there. In the Industrial Revolution, things start to change up more. Now, I'm going to be reading out of the Age of Empire. Page, let me look at what page this is. And, uh, well, I'll get to this in a second. This part. <clears throat> page 19, out of the Centurion Revolution. Okay. So, let me get into this reading. Start. As for high culture, the world of white settlement overseas still remained overwhelmingly dependent on old, of the old continent, and this was even more obviously so among the tiny educated elites of the non-white societies, insofar as these took the West as their model. Economically, Russia could not begin to compare with the headlong growth and wealth of the USA. Culturally, the Russia of Dostoevsky, 1821-1881, Tolstoy, 1828-1910, Chekhov, 1860-1904, of Tchaikovsky, 1840-1893, Borodin, 1834-1887, and Rimsky-Korsakov, 1844-1908, 
was a great power with the USA of Mark Twain, 1835 to 1910, and Walt Whitman, 1819 to 1892, was not even, if we throw in Henry James, 1843 to 1916, who had long since immigrated to a more congenial atmosphere of Britain. European culture and intellectual life still belonged mainly to a minority of the prosperous and educated and was adapted to functioning admirably and for such a milieu. The contribution of liberalism and the ideo ideological left beyond it was to call for the achievements of this elite culture to be made freely accessible to all. The museum and the free library were its characteristic achievements. American culture, more democratic and egalitarian, did not come into its own until the era of mass culture in the 20th century. For the time being, even in matters so closely geared to technical progress as the sciences, the USA still lagged not only behind the Germans and the British, but even behind the small Netherlands to judge the geographical distribution of Nobel Prizes in their first quarter century. And so, ladies and gentlemen, everything summed up, right? Not everything, but this part, libraries, or in general, knowledge equals mental wealth for us all. For whatever cause, we may need that for, for ourselves and others, so forth and so on. Obviously, we have access to this. Use it. Use it. That's all I'm saying. Because without it, we have nothing to fight with. Think about that. Okay, so I'm just going to get right into this next part. I'm going to be giving you some more reading. Good story here. Very well written. Very well. It makes the mind imagine. And not just imagine, but think. So this is taken out of a 1969 issue, August, I should say, of Science Fiction Analog. You already know I like these magazines, so I read out of these. Shout out to Analog. I love these things, even the, especially the old ones. But the story I'm going to read to you is actually the ending part. Page, I want to get to exactly, excuse me for a second. Page starting at page 64, all the way to 69. Okay, so this comes out of a story called The Time Sweepers by Keith Laumer. Great story. If you have not read this, highly suggest it if you can. If not, I don't know, find a way to figure out how to shoot it out to you guys. But regardless, very well written, and I think this sums up and also says so much about us as people. So, let me just get straight into this. Start. Aside from the fact that nothing encased in an eddy shield like the one that followed me to operate in null time could move here, the intrusion wasn't too surprising. I had been expecting a visitor from some sort. The situation almost demanded it. He came through the door. A tall, fine-featured, totally hairless man, elegantly dressed in a scarlet suit with deep purple brocaded designs worked all over it, like eels coiling through seaweed. He gave the room one of those flick-flick glances that prints the whole picture on the brain to ten decimals in one millisecond gestalt. 
nodded to me as if I were a casual acquaintance encountered in the street. You are very efficient, he said. He spoke with no discernible accent, but rather a strange rhythm to his speech, as if perhaps he was accustomed to talking a lot faster. His voice was calm, a nice musical baritone. Up to this point, we approve your actions. However, to carry your mission further would be to create a ninth-order probability vortex. You will understand the implications of this fact. Maybe I do, and maybe I don't, I hedged. Who are you? How did you get in here? This enclave is double-sealed. I think we should deal from the outset on this basis of complete candor, the man in red said. I know your identity, your mission. My knowledge should make it plain that I represent a still later era than your own, and that our judgment overrides your principles. I grunted. So the seventh era comes on stage, all set to fix it forever. To point out that we have the advantage of you is to belabor the obvious. Uh-huh. But what makes you think another set of vigilantes won't land on your tail to fix your fixing? There will be no later time sweep, Red said. Ours is the final intervention. Through several seventh era efforts, the temporal structure will be restored and not only to stability, but will be reinforced by the diffusion of an entire spectrum of redundant entropic vectors. I nodded. I see. You're improving on nature by grafting all threads of unrealized history back into the main stem. Doesn't it strike you that's just the kind of tampering time sweep set out to undo? I live in an era that has already begun to reap the benefits of temporal reinforcement, he said firmly. We exist in a state of vitality and vigor that prior eras could only dimly sense in moments of exaltation. We, you're kidding yourselves, opening up a whole new order of meddling just opens up a whole new order of problems. Our calculations indicate otherwise. Now, did you ever stop to think that there might be a natural evolution process at work here and that you're aborting it? That the mind of man might be developing toward a point where it will expand into new conceptual levels, and that when it does, it will need a matrix of outlying probability strata to support it, that you're fat fattening yourselves on the seed grain of the far future? For the first time, the man in red lost a little bit of his cool, but only for an instant. Invalid, he said. The fact no later era has stepped in to interfere is the best evidence that ours is the final sweep. Suppose a later era did step in. What form do you think their interference would take? He gave me a flat look. It would certainly not take the form of a six-era agent, busily erasing data from the third and fourth era records, he said. You're right, I said. It wouldn't. Then what? He started in a reasonable tone and checked himself. An idea was beginning to get through. You, he said, you're not. And before I could confirm or deny, he vanished. The human mind is a pattern, nothing more. The first dim flicker of awareness is evolving for forebrain and Australopithecus carried the pattern in embryo. And down through all the ages, as the human neutral engine increased in power, and complexity gained control of its environment in its geometrically expanding increments. The pattern never varied. Man clings to his self-orientation at the psychological center of universe. 
He can face any challenge within that framework, suffer any loss, endure any hardship, so on as the structure remains intact. Without it, he's a mind adrift in a trackless infinity, lacking any scale against which to measure his losses, his aspirations, his victories. Even when the light of this intellect shows him that the structure is the product of his own mind, that infinity knows no scale, in eternity, no duration. Still, he clings to his self, non-self-concept, as a philosopher clings to a life he knows must end, to his ideals he knows that are ephemeral, to causes he knows will be forgotten. The man in red was a product of a mighty culture, based over 50,000 years in the future, of the next central, itself ten millennia advanced over the first-time explorers of the old era, he knew with all the awareness of a superbly trained intelligence that the presence of a later era operative inv invalidated forever his secure image of the continuum and his people's role therein. But like the ground, ape scuttling to escape the leap of a great cat, his instant, instinctive response to the threat to his most cherished illusion was to go to earth. Where I went, I would have to follow him. Regretfully, I stripped away layer on layer of inhibitive conditioning, feeling the impact of ascending orders of awareness smashing down on me like a tangible rockfall. I saw the immaculate precision of the next built chamber disintegrate into the shabby makeshift that it was, saw the glittering complexity of the instruments dwindle in my sight until it appeared as no more than the crude crude mud images of a river tribesman or the shiny trash in a jackdaw's nest. I felt the multi-ordinal universe unfold around me, sensed the layer planted underfoot, apprehended expanding space, dust clotted, felt the sweep of suns in their orbits, knew once again the rhythm of galactic creation and disillusion, grasped and held, poised in my mind the interlocking conceptions of time, space, future is and or is not. I focused a tiny fraction of my awareness on the ripple and the glassy surface of first order reality, probed at it, made contact. I stood on a slope of the wind-slept rock among twisted shrubs with exposed roots that clutched for support like desperate hands. The man in red stood ten feet away from me. He whirled as my feet grated on the loose scatter of pebbles. No, he shouted and stooped caught up a rock and threw it at me. It slowed, fell at my feet. Don't make it any more difficult than it has to be, I said. He cried out and disappeared. I followed through the bleak of light and darkness. Great haze, dazzling sunlight, loose, powdery dust underfoot. Far away, a line of black trees on the horizon. Near me, the man of red is aiming at a small flat weapon behind him. Two small, dark, bearded men in soiled garments of course, woven cloth, staring, making mystic motions with labor-gnarled hands. He fired. Through the sheet of pink and green fire that showered around me, I saw the terror in his eyes. He vanished. Deep night, the clods of a pl plowed field, a patch of yellow light gleaming from a parchment window. He crouched up against a low wall of broken stones, staring into darkness. This is useless, I said. You know it can have only one end. He screamed and vanished. A sky 
like the throat of the thousand tornadoes, great vivid sheets of lightning that struck down through writhing rags of black cloud, struck upward from raw rain lashed peaks of steaming rock, a rumble under my feet like the subterranean break of a tidal surf of magma. He hovered half-substantial in the air before me, his ghostly face, a flickering mask of agony. You'll destroy yourself, I called to him. You're far outside your operational range. He vanished. I followed. We stood on a high arc of railness bridge, spanning a man-made gorge 5,000 feet deep. I knew it as a city of the Fifth Era, circa 20,000 A.D. What do you want of me? He howled through the bared teeth of the cornered carnivore. Go back, I said. Tell them as much as they must know. We are so close, he said. We thought we had won the great victory over nothingness. Not quite nothingness, I said. You still have your lives to live. Everything you had before. Except the future. We are we are dead, aren't we? We've drained the energies of a thousand sterile entropic lines to give the flesh of life to the corpse of our reality. But there's nothing beyond for us, is there? Only a great emptiness. You had a role to play. You've played it, and will play it. Nothing must change that. But you... He stared across empty space at me. Who are you? What are you? You know what the answer to that must be, I said. His face was a paper on which death was written, but his mind was strong, not for nothing thirty millennia of genetic selection. He gathered his forces, drove back the panic, and reintegrated his dissolving personality. How, how long, he whispered. All life vanished in one hundred and ten thousand four hundred and ninety-third year of the final era, I said. And you, you machines... He, he forced the words out. How long? I was dispatched from a locus 400 million years after the final era. My existence spans a period you would find meaningless. But why? Unless hope shone on his face like a searchlight on dark water. The probability matrix is not yet negatively resolved, I said. Our labors are directed toward a favorable resolution. But you, a machine, still carrying on, eons after man's extinction. Why? In us, man's dream outlived his race. We aspire to revoke the dreamer. Again, why? We compute that man would have wished it so. He laughed a terrible laugh. Very well, machine. With that thought to console me, I return to my oblivion. I will do what I can. The time I let him go, I stood for a moment on the airy span, savoring the final moment, the sensations of my embodiment, drawing deep of the air of that unimaginably remote age. Then I withdrew to my point of origin, the over-intellect of which I was a fraction confronted me, fresh as I was of a corporal state. Its thought impulses seemed to take the form of great voice booming in a vast audience hall. The experiment was a success, it stated. The drouse has been cleansed from time to stream. Man stands at the close of his first era. Now his future is in his own hands. There is nothing more to say. No more data to exchange. No reason to mourn over all the doomed achievements of man's eras. 
we had shifted the main entropic current into a past in which time travel was never developed, in which the basic laws of nature rendered it forever impossible. The world state of the third era, the star empire of the fifth, the cosmic sculpture of the six, all were gone, shunted into sidetracks like Neanderthal and Thunder Lizards. Only old era man remained as a viable stem, Iron Age man of the 20th century. And now it was time for the act of will on the part of the over-intellect would forever dissolve him, me, back into the primordial energy quanta from which I, we, sprang as long ago. But I sent one last pulse. Goodbye, Chief. You were quite a guy. It was a privilege to work with you. I sent something which, if had come from a living mind, would have been faint amusement. You served the plan many times in persona, he said. I sense that you have partaken the nature of early man to degree beyond what I had conceived as the capacity of a machine. It is strange, limited existence, I said, with only a tiny fraction of the full scope of awareness. But while I was there, it seemed complete in a way that we, with all our knowledge, could never know. You wished me farewell, a human gesture, without meaning. I will return the gesture as a loyal agent. You deserve a reward. Perhaps it will be all sweeter for its meaninglessness. A sudden sense of expansion, attenuation, a shattering, then nothingness. Out of nothingness, a tiny glimmer of light, faint and so very far away. I sat up, rubbed my head, feeling dizzy. Brambles scratched at me. It took me a few minutes to untangle myself. I was in the woods, a few hundred feet from town. The light I saw came from the window of the house. That made me think of Lisa, waiting for me beside a fireplace with music. I wondered what I was doing out here in the woods with a knot on my head, when I could have been there holding her hand. I rubbed my skull some more, but it didn't seem to stimulate my memory. I had a dim feeling I had forgotten something, but I couldn't have been very important. Not as important as getting back to Lisa. I found the path and hurried down the trail toward home, feeling very tired and very hungry, but filled with a sense that life, even my little slice of it, was a very precious thing. Beautiful. Great piece of writing and beautiful imaginary conception. So, this all being said, folks, the... <laughs> We are now at the conclusion, or the sum up, of AS Today. I don't think I have to define to you the point of this story, but it's a beautiful, beautiful, amazing idea and concepts, concept, excuse me, to leave you with today. And that is this. We are the manifestors. We are the history makers. We are the educators. We make the time present here and now what it is. And we also write and make the future. Through our knowledge and growth from various forms, it is up to us to change and make our destiny our futures, whatever it may be that you can think of, better for us 
our families, and the generations after us. It is up to us, though, to do that. We can't have anyone else push us before and or after, like the people in the story. People trying to tamper and then fix the fixer-upper's job, because in essence it's all messed up. We have to make better of this, of what we have now. Now. And starting now, we need to start changing things at this very moment for the good cause of others and society and make man's destiny, our future, better for itself. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the moral endpoint of today's episode. Thank you. I hope you find some comfort in that and or something has made sense to someone, even if it's one even if it's one person. Thank you. You know what folks, I'm not gonna give a contact info today. That'll be for another show, okay? I've spoken enough. First and foremost, world, keep your heads up. World strong, okay? Be safe. Take care of your families and your friends and everyone you know. Treat each other right. Second, and biggest, of course, rest in peace, George Floyd. Brianna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and so many others who have lost their lives due to sensical ignorance that is amongst so many people. We don't have room for that BS, folks. We don't cut it out. As for George Floyd, your voice was heard, sir. Not in the manner it should have been. But it was still heard. The people heard and are emitting the waves back and further beyond. Say his name. Say his name. George Floyd. Let's start making a change, people. And with that, I will leave you with one last thought for the day. Going back to the beginning of the program where I asked you, what type of product are you going to be? Going to be a product of the society you're in that keeps a constant and never changes? Or are you going to be the product of change? You decide. I'm your host. I can't tell you what to do. But in the end, what you do makes a mark, and makes an impression on the world. Be a product, people. Be a product for good. Thank you. Thank you for hearing me today. For our outro song today, I'm going to take us out with Bob Marley and the Wailers off the album Legend, Redemption Song. It is right to play this song in this time. Till next wave.
This is your man, Glass. Signing out. Be safe, everyone. Have a good day. And ships minutes after they took I from the bottomless pit, but my hand was made strong by the end of the Almighty. We forward in this generation triumphantly. Won't you help to sing these songs of freedom? Cause all I ever have redemption songs, redemption songs. Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. Have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop the time How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look Some say it's just a part of it We've got to fulfill the book Won't you help to sing these songs of freedom Cause all I ever have Redemption songs Redemption songs Redemption songs yourselves from mental slavery none but ourselves can free our mind oh have no fear for atomic energy cause none of them cannot stop at the time how long shall they kill our prophets while we stand aside and look yes some say it's just a part of it we've got to fulfill the book won't you help to sing these songs of freedom cause all I ever had redemption songs all I ever had redemption songs Songs of freedom Songs of freedom Find us on Instagram
Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for the latest on Ruckus Avenue Radio.